it's also helpful to have a flotation device. That's true. <laughs> now we're getting a little wild. <laughs> <laughs> From the Newman Vertical Campus in New York City, this is Just To Be Clear, a podcast by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College and the City University of New York. Welcome to episode two of Just To Be Clear, the podcast by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College. I'm Kim Edmonds, recording at Baruch's campus in New York City. Just To Be Clear is all about oral communication and second language learning and teaching, how it's done, what the research says, and how we can make the experience better and more fun for everyone involved, both learners and teachers. Have you ever studied or lived abroad? Maybe you took a semester to live in India or Brazil, or maybe you taught in Japan for a few years. Maybe you're living abroad right now, working on learning the language of wherever you are, like many of our students here at TFCS. Learning a second language in an immersive environment, meaning an environment where you're surrounded by it and you have to use it to communicate, is a very different experience from learning it in a classroom in school. Every day there's a lot more language around you to deal with, and it's messier, not organized for you in textbooks or by teachers. And surprisingly, trying to find opportunities to practice speaking in this kind of environment can be pretty hard. Teachers and researchers, we know this too. And the questions we want to try to answer in this episode are, how can learners make the most of living abroad, and how can educators support them? and how are social expectations reflected in language, and vice versa. In this episode, TFCS speech consultants Alex Haddon and Andres Molnar talk about their own experiences learning second languages abroad. They're also going to give some research-based suggestions for how to make the most of your time while you're there and maximize all the language learning benefits. Afterward, we'll hear from Tristan Thorne about how an understanding of pragmatics can inform approaches to both learning and teaching English. And finally, we'll talk to Victor Chavez, a TFCS student from Peru who studied business at Baruch and has since graduated, and who has some great stories and advice to share. That's what's coming up on Just To Be Clear. So Andres, um, As an ESL teacher, I've noticed that a lot of the language learning materials that have been made employ special English, the slowed down, overly enunciated English that's Mm -hmm. very different from what native speakers actually sound like. Yeah, so I mean, I think, um, well, currently, I mean, we're we're currently sitting in New York City, um, and our students um, are mostly, well, mostly they're learning English in a natural, in a native English environment. Um, You know, some of my... um, experience with learning, with living abroad and learning in a natural setting, though, um, when I was in Japan, I had a, um, a small host sister. So I was in a home host family, a three-year-old host sister. And um, I didn't realize that not all native speakers speak proper their language, right? right? So I, I learned this one phrase from this three-year-old, and she couldn't say her her T's yet. So mm-hmm. she could only say P's, and she would say pateru. And she, oh, I'm gonna like I'm pateru. She's gonna eat her food, and I was like, okay. So I'd go to school and say pateru, pateru, <laughs> but no, I didn't know that taberu was in fact the right word. So like I felt like an idiot because I would was learning in, or Japanese from this mm-hmm. three year old. Um, so I mean, a lot of times you know people speak naturally. They speak in contractions. They speak sure. in incorrect grammar. 
so for somebody, I mean, I know, I know you've spent a lot of time abroad as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you were going, um, when you went abroad, what what were your expectations? Like, what was your motivation to learn? <laughs> My motivation was daily survival. Okay. Yes, living abroad, uh, I wanted to interact with locals. Uh-huh. Of course, I wanted to be able to order food correctly and give directions uh, directly to, to the taxi drivers. I needed to tell, tell them to turn left, turn right, slow down, stop, etc. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have, you know, I knew I wouldn't be fluent in a short period of time, but at least the vocabulary to go into a store and be able to request what I wanted and to be able to communicate, you know, on a, on a functional level. I was not planning on studying in a university in those countries. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was abroad, um, at first I, I spent several years um, as an exchange student. Uh, I always had kind of this, you know, natural experience. I'd be out in the world, doing a mm-hmm. homestay, um, shopping or something, and always usually a classroom um, fallback. So I'd right. always have some grammar practice as well, and I found that was a really nice combination. But for most students, it is important not only to learn from textbooks, pick up vocabulary, study grammar, but it's also essential to be able to use the language. We call it output, mm-hmm. whether you're speaking or writing in the language. By using output, you're able to process language more deeply and get a handle on it. I sometimes tell my students what I call the basketball story, although okay. you can you can certainly insert any other sport and it would still work if you're talking to your students. Uh-huh. And I tell them, once there was a man who was crazy about basketball and he really wanted to learn how to play it. So he got books and he studied. He learned all of the rules, all of the regulations. He watched every basketball game, both on TV and in person that he could possibly watch. Mm -hmm. He knew all the rules. He knew the history of the players and the stats. He could rattle them off quickly. However, despite his great amount of knowledge, he could not play basketball. You Mm -hmm. know why? Why? Because he was too afraid to pick up the ball with his own hands Uh and attempt to throw it into the basket because he was afraid he'd look foolish. You know, this goes into something um, I I researched when I was in graduate school, Mm -hmm. something called opportunity space. And I think um, it's like, you know, you can learn, going off your analogy, you can learn the plays, you can learn... Um, you know, the movements and, and what, what handling a ball looks like, but until you actually get on the court and this is the opportunity space and uh-huh. you're playing with other people, um, you're, you know, throwing the ball around. So what I'm talking about with opportunity space is um, you're sitting, for example, if you're at a homestay, maybe it's at a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to a college or you're in, you know, you work, um, maybe you're on a, your lunch break or um, you're hanging out with your friends, you're in a kind of a stable, um, at least 20 minutes long. You don't mm-hmm. want to have these these quick, um, oh, can you do my laundry? Oh, how much is it? Oh, um, something like that. Just a like quick that. exchange. A quick exchange. You want something that's actual meaningful, something that you can actually build a conversation out of and have like a natural give and take. And from that natural give and take, uh, that's where the learning and that's where you actually um, kind of figure out how to actually use the language. That all comes in. Right. And I think so. I think you mentioned the output hypothesis. There's also the input hypothesis uh, from Krashen, um, dealing with um, you know you're you're also listening and you're you're gaining knowledge about a topic, but it's kind of just a little bit beyond um, what you're understanding. If you dive too deep mm-hmm. into using another sports analogy, if you do dive <laughs> too deep into the pool, you know you just drown. Uh, you want to be you know, or you like, learn to swim. Or you, exactly, but at first you want to usually wade in first. You know, get get a little bit, get your feet wet before you 
it's also helpful to have a flotation device. That's true. <laughs> now we're getting a little wild. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but I think this goes back. Um, yeah, you really want to have this this kind of meaningful space, and I think this can be done uh, in a lot of ways. Um, so for me personally, when I was abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this goes kind of like, well, we've talked about, um, you know, what what we want, and we want to we want to naturally do it. Well, how do you right. actually get out, um, get out of your apartment, get and uh, get out of your comfort mm-hmm. zone, and actually learn? Um, well, when I was in when I was abroad, um, I actually joined um, an English, the ESA. This is in Japan. It's called the English Speaking Association. It was all Japanese people except for me, and their goal was to speak English. Mm-hmm. And so I would I would sit with them and I would speak. Um, and, you know, maybe do an hour or two of language exchange. But then sure. after that, we'd speak Japanese, too. And I was in a, an environment where people were genuinely interested in what I had to say. Yes. And I encourage my students, even even here in New York, who say that they're not able to use English very often outside of the classroom, I encourage them to get together with their friends mm-hmm. and have an English-speaking lunch, maybe, yeah. you know, once a week, and just say, we're going to have lunch together today, and for this hour, we people who, who speak the same, the same first language are going to come together and make a conscious effort to speak English during lunch. Yeah, I mean, you, so, I mean, some people that don't have the ability to um, maybe have, have students around them, maybe they're in a work, they're a little busier, mm-hmm. I think um, volunteering is also perfectly good. Yes. Um, you know, you're in a place, um, you choose the place, uh, it has value to you, and these other people value your presence. Uh, so that's an ex- another excellent um, place to go. Um, you know, sports teams. Even gyms. Exactly, gyms. It just choose, I mean, for me, it was, it was choosing something that I do, um, that I did back in my home country. Right. And then something that I, I really liked and I wanted to do. And those people, you know, well, how did you do it back home? Or, you know, mm-hmm. how, how, does your, how do your ways differ than ours? And I think that's where that's it's a lot of fun to find that out. Sure, I I often suggest to my students that they look online and find things, for example, at Meetup.com, yep. or you know, here at the university they can join Toastmasters, mm-hmm. find some kind of club or an activity again that is centered on a common interest. So this switches gears a little bit, but still related. Um, what do you think about having hanging out with na- your native speaker friends of your your language? So you're in, say, you're in. Uh, I'm in. Japan, and I'm hanging out with a bunch of other Americans or British mm-hmm. um, people who all need native English speakers. Right. I, I think it's perfectly natural and to be expected that groups of who share the same first language will tend to stick around together. It's comfortable. It is safe. But if your goal is to learn the, the language in that home country, then you need to push yourself to move further out. And, you know, again, there may be people in that country who want to learn English, so doing a language exchange with them may, may be, a, may be a, a beneficial way. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're going to learn the language, you've got to find ways to surround yourself with the language. Just mm-hmm. like uh, Mer- uh, Meryl Swain says in her output hypothesis, you know, if you're able to process the language and produce it yourself, you'll have a better handle on it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember being abroad myself. Um, you know, there are some times where, you know, it was really necessary for me to just kind of vent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was in this experience, and I remember just, you know, I, I was confused or, you know, why why does this culture act so differently from my culture? Uh-huh. And, and it was, I mean, you know, everyone, we're all human, and we all do uh, things sometimes similarly, sometimes differently. Mm-hmm. You, cultures are just different. And, you know, when you have 
your native speaker friends, I when I was mean in my case other Americans to just vent, oh, you know, why is this happening? Um, it really was very nice. It was it was yes. you know people who are usually have experienced that already. Mm-hmm. Um, that going through the same thing, but at the same time, um, I was also kind of like I mentioned before, also very aware that if I spent too much time with them, um, you know, you you are in the danger of not really learning anything about that new culture. That's right. Okay, so I think um, I think we're reaching the end of our um, time. Uh, so just su- quick summary. Um, so if you had to pick a couple points about um, increasing fluency in, in the target language, mm-hmm. um, what would you say? I would say get out of your comfort zone. Uh-huh. Try to reach out, put yourself in situations where you have to learn the target language. Listen to the native speakers of that target language and listen to how they phrase things. Try to incorporate that into your own uh, pronunciation and way of speaking the language. Mm-hmm. Make friends. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think you can accept that you're going to have some good days and some bad days uh-huh. um, just because you're learning um, a language doesn't mean every day you're going to have success, but um, I think setting goals for yourself. Sure. Why, why am I here? Um, in in one month, what does what do I want my language to look like? In three months, what do I want my, my language mm-hmm. to look like? And um, pick a couple problem areas. Maybe you identified yourself or you've been told. Right. And slowly but steadily, you know, step by step, uh, you know, work, work on it. But there's a lot of, um, you have to really think about yourself what you want to do. Great advice, Andres. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Yeah, you too, Alex. Appropriately enough, since this episode was recorded, both Alex and Andres have moved abroad to Istanbul, Turkey, and Nagoya, Japan, respectively. They're both faculty members in universities there. How are they doing? Have they been able to use the suggestions they give here in their new homes? You can see a short update from them on our website, jtbc.baruch.cuny.edu, on the episode 2 page. So let's say you've moved abroad and you've gotten a pretty good handle on some of the language. Now what? Is that enough? Well, you have to learn how to use it appropriately, too, where language and culture overlap. In the field of linguistics, the study of that intersection is called pragmatics. Here to tell you more about that in a brief corner is Tristan Thorne, TFCS curriculum specialist and resident pragmatics enthusiast, who you also met on episode one. A non-native English-speaking student of mine, knowing she would be absent for an upcoming class, once sent me this email message. I beg to inform you that I shall be unable to attend class today because of my severe backache, which makes me double over with pain. I am extremely sorry for my absence. I would appreciate if I can get your permission. Based purely on linguistic accuracy and coherence, this message gets the job done, and I certainly feel bad for the student. But maybe you got the sense that something else is off, that grammaticality and semantics aren't the issue. Why, for example, is the student being so specific about her physical condition? Well, the answer is probably that she didn't yet have the pragmatic competence needed to understand commonly accepted American emailing standards. One of those standards? Don't go into too much detail about bodily issues when giving an excuse for an absence. Now, the word pragmatics has different meanings. Like when we call a person pragmatic, we're saying she is practical or sensible. 
In the realm of applied linguistics, however, pragmatics is about the complex interplay between language and culture or society, or as Archer and Grundy define it, the study of meaning in context. We can unravel the notion of pragmatics by examining it through the lens of beliefs and language, or sociopragmatics and pragmalinguistics. Sociopragmatics refers to the beliefs and perceptions that underlie the language choices of an individual. So, a person might consider the age, gender, or socioeconomic status of her interlocutor and make assumptions about the type of language needed to appropriately navigate a situation. Pragmalinguistics, on the other hand, refers to the actual language choices used in the interaction. Opting for what's up over how are you is the pragmalinguistic result of a sociopragmatic calculation. Getting back to my student's email, one point of pragmatic failure is most likely caused by insufficient sociopragmatic competence in that supplying a detailed excuse related to one's physical condition may be seen as appropriate in the writer's home country or community. The student also erred on the side of hyperformality with words and phrases like beg to inform and shall, which are strange but relatively innocuous lexical choices. But pragmatic failure can inadvertently draw offense. Consider the language used by a student when requesting an extension on an assignment deadline. I want an extension comes across as too direct, while I was wondering if an extension would be at all possible is certainly an improvement, pragmatically speaking. As someone whose first language is English, years of experience have made this distinction obvious. But for many multilingual learners, awareness of the phenomenal range of linguistic resources available depending on the situation is illuminating. Of course, pragmatics is hard. Even speakers using their first language can and do unintentionally mislead or offend. But if you're an ESL educator or learner, the examples discussed demonstrate the value of explicitly addressing pragmatics and tailoring instruction and study to the tendencies of a broad speech community, say, New York City. And if a goal of learning another language is to convey one's meaning based on the context of the interaction, then boosting one's pragmatic proficiency is not only helpful, it's imperative. segment in this episode is my interview with Victor Chavez, a Baruch student from Peru, who I sat down with and talked to in the summer of 2017. I met Victor when he was a participant in some of the small group workshops I was running at TFCS, and he brought so much energy and enthusiasm to everyone that I realized I really wanted to know more about him. I invited him to be on JTBC and tell us his story, and here he is. Hey, my name is Victor Chavez. I moved here in 2007. I was living with my uncle, mm -hmm. and he offered me his couch. So I was there for six months until I found a job, mm -hmm. and after that, uh, I could you know find my own place, and I moved with my brother. And okay, yeah. I was trying to to look for a job because I wanted to save some money. Yeah. Because I was going to school in Peru, mm. so my main idea was you know like oh I should just go there. 
find a job or like I don't know, like a year, okay. save some money, and then go back to Peru and finish my my college over there. Okay. But you know, all of a sudden, uh, when I moved here, I found a job here on the Upper East Side on 63rd and 3rd Avenue. Oh, that's nice. At this restaurant, mm. and believe it or not, I found the love of my life. Oh. I found my wife over there, <laughs> and you know, I took a shot. So yeah, I, I have to be thankful for the guy to take me to that job. That was the best decision I ever made. It's amazing how those decisions, they, sometimes you think, if I had never done that, my life would be completely different. I know, you know, and then you just, you know, take a moment and look back and you're like, I'm so happy I did it. Yeah. Because, you know, like I met this wonderful person that really makes me, you know, like keep growing as a person Mm -hmm. and also push me to be better every day. Well, if you're listening, Victor's wife. What's her name? Uh, Kimberly. Chavez. Kimberly. My name is also Kimberly. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> what a coincidence! That's well. If you're listening, Kimberly, uh, it sounds like your husband loves you very much. <laughs> and I do. Victor then began to tell me in strikingly down-to-earth tones about an incredible journey he undertook over the next several years in New York. His goal was to complete his education, which he pursued relentlessly. First, he moved on to a job with a more flexible schedule. Company. Yes, uh-huh. and I really like that because they give me the flexibility to pick up my days. I took some classes at La Guardia. Yeah, yeah. As a English as a second language, I did it for two semesters, and oh. that really helped me a lot. Yeah, but yeah. after that, I, I, I was in the need that to to do something else. Like I was like, this is this is not enough. I I, I know I, I really like to. I was looking back and I like, wait, my, the first reason that I came here was to finish. You know, like go back to Peru and finish college. So with the support of his brother, he took classes to earn his GED, and then he applied to BMCC, Borough of Manhattan Community College. Okay, wow. It's never too late. No, of course not, yeah. And yeah, so I did it, I passed it, no, I got my GED, and then I uh, I applied for BMCC, they accepted me. Then eventually, fueled by that feeling of this is not enough, he decided to transfer here to Baruch. And from there, I decided to come to Baruch because I wanted to pursue a business uh, degree, yeah. and I have read so much about Baruch being, you know, one of the best mm-hmm. business schools here in the city. Yeah, and also because I live here in the city, so that commute is super close to my house. Oh, that's nice. Needless to say, I was floored by the incredible amount of work and motivation it had no doubt taken to accomplish all of that. I was also interested in knowing more about how Victor went about adjusting to living in a new culture with a new language when he had first moved to the United States. Do you feel like you? encountered any kind of challenges when you were first adjusting to living in the United States? Oh, I mean, that must have been really different. Of course. You know, because yeah. uh, what happened was, you know, like, also in Peru, I was studying English before I came here. Yeah. But basically, when I came, I had, like, a basic English. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, expectations versus reality. Mm-hmm. So when you get here and you're like, oh, wow, they speak so fast. And also, you know, they use different words and meanings. Yeah. And, you know, like, that was a really a transition that really... It shocked me. Yeah. But then, yeah, you know, yeah. like getting a job and also, you know, like trying to get my way around. Mm-hmm. It was really hard. But, you know, like I, I always have the attitude. That I, and I'm always, like, you know, like positive. I'm like, okay, yeah, this might be today, but tomorrow is going to be a different day. It's such a good attitude to have. And, you know, honestly, like not only just for living in general, but, you know, especially for language learning, you know, because you have to get out and take risks. That's true. And, yeah. you know, but I do, uh, uh, you know, I'm a person that I'm always pushing myself. If there's a word 
that I cannot really pronounce. Mm-hmm. I, I really write it down and then I, I look it up, you know, what it means. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I practice at home. I mm-hmm. practice when I get up. I practice when I go <laughs> to sleep. I practice if I'm on the couch doing nothing. I practice if I'm watching TV because, yeah, yeah, but that's me. Yeah. And sometimes I can't get it, I, I can't get it to, to sound like the way I want it. Yeah. But my wife is also, you know, she's the one that always, you know, push me to like, hey, don't say that because you sound, you know, like, you don't sound right. You uh. know, like, like, Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. always, you know, sounding like no. How can I say this? Like, just make me. Mm, it's making me feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. How the way I, you know, like interact with people mm-hmm. and how you know, like how I pronounce words and how you know, like, how I speak. Yeah, build some confidence a little bit. Yeah, it takes time. It yeah, takes time, you know. Sure but does. I'm getting there. Since Victor was a Zicklin business student, I asked him whether he was thinking of starting his own business in the future. He told me about his love of food and particularly his talent for making Peruvian ceviche and his interest in potentially starting a restaurant or a food truck. I mean, I, I usually cook. I usually you know, do stuff. Like not only at my house, you know, I go to places that I work and mm-hmm. I just, all the time it's summer and, you know, like it's a sunny day and I decide to make some ceviche and I take my ceviche and I do it in the kitchen at work and people are like, man, you should sell it. And I'm like, yeah, no. Well, you know, like, we'll see. We'll see where, where the idea goes. But, mm-hmm. you know, I always keep it on mind. But at the same time, I feel mm. like if you do that, you know, mm. if I start doing, you know, like working on that, I feel like it's too, I don't know if this is the right word, slavery. Because, you know, uh. like having a restaurant, you know, like you got to work seven days a week. Constant so many, Yeah, that's the thing, you know, and that's the other thing. You know, sometimes I, I get overwhelmed with stupid things, you know, like sure. bills that I have to pay, sure. rent that comes, mm-hmm. and this and that. But sometimes, yeah. you know, I just go home and I just hack my dog and I hear his breathing and I'm like, this is real, you know, this is happening. Yeah. You know, the bills, everything is numbers that we put on, you know, in our society. Yeah. That is not, I mean, it is important, don't get me wrong. Sure, pay your bills. But, you know, <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, but, you know, at the same time, it's not real. And sometimes, you know, like, you just need to Really, you know, like, it's like mm. being mindful or mindfulness. You know, sometimes yeah. you just need to be mindful, you know, like, sure. relaxing. Yeah. Probably 10 years or 20 years from here, you know, like, I can, you know, like, show this to my kids and be like, hey, look, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I can next year. No, this year when I go to Peru, I'm like, hey, Ma, I know you don't want to understand anything, but just listen <laughs> to me. That's me. You know, like. <laughs> I just want to ask you one more question, then we're going to wrap up. But mm-hmm. um, I'm curious if you're comfortable sharing this. Like, when you married your wife, she's Cuban-American. Did you guys have any, like cultural kind of interesting encounters where you had different like expectations because of your cultures and it was weird at first when you got yes. married or when you first met each other she used different frijoles <laughs> black <laughs> frijoles deal. yeah i mean I like, I like pintos and she liked the black ones i'm like oh. Kimberly, that's a big deal that is that's a big a, deal <laughs> that taste is the, but you know i mean that's so people from central america you know mm. they use that type of Beans, yeah. like, interesting, yeah. and because we don't have it in Peru, so all the time she like no, and you know like after a while you just got used to it, and then you know like she doesn't eat rice, mm. and in Peru we eat everything with rice and potatoes, and, you know, and that was really hard for me. I was oh like, wow, so the cooking, so it sounds like you guys are just a really amazing match. I mean, I just feel like when you really meet someone that, I mean. When she's my best friend, you know, like I can tell her whatever, I can tell her how I feel, mm-hmm. how my day went, mm-hmm. you know, and I know she's gonna not only support me, but mm-hmm. she's gonna not judge me. She's gonna be, just, she's gonna be there for me, you know, to listen yeah. and be like, don't worry, everything is gonna be fine. And, right. you know, like, and sometimes you need that not only from a friend, but from your wife. And yeah. when you have that, you know, like mix up, that's a plus. From a partner, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So Victor, thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else that you wanted to say or bring up while you're while you ha- you're being interviewed here? Oh yeah, e- e- ceviche is really healthy for <laughs> you, and it goes really well with pisco, pisco sour. Okay, thank you so much for that. <laughs> Absolutely, advice. Victor, it's been so great to have you. Thanks so much. Absolutely, um, anytime. Yeah, and we'll see you around hopefully. <laughs> All right, goodbye. Bye. You can hear a few more clips from Victor's interview on our website, jtbc.baruch.cuny.edu. Here at the end of this episode about living and learning abroad, I think it makes sense to return briefly to Victor's comments about pushing yourself, and also about mindfulness and balance. It definitely takes work and dedication, as well as help from others, to adjust to the complexities of life in a new country. To really acquire another language, you have to find that opportunity space, as Alex and Andres said, and learn to be okay with taking risks and making mistakes and laughing at yourself if you need to. For educators, we think it's important to not only teach your students about language, but also about pragmatics and culture. It's pretty much impossible to separate one from the other. If you're a teacher and you're interested in checking out some resources about teaching pragmatics, take a look at the episode 2 page on our website. But along with all that hard work, we can say that it's equally crucial to take the occasional step back and reflect, whether that's by hugging your dog and eating ceviche, or writing down something in a journal, or calling your mom or your friend or whoever. I know I really agreed with Victor when he talked about focusing on what feels real to you, if you ever feel homesick, overworked, or overwhelmed. So if you're living abroad and listening to this as a learner of English or any language, we hope you found it interesting to hear that plenty of us teachers have had the same kinds of experiences learning other languages, and we know how you feel. If you're a teacher of English as a second or a foreign language, we hope you feel inspired by what we talked about on this episode and that you're encouraged to talk to your students about strategies for navigating language and culture together. This is the Just To Be Clear podcast, produced by the Tools for Clear Speech program at Baruch College in New York City. Join us next time for our third episode, which is all about fluency, where we talk to Alan Kennedy, who is a professor at Columbia University in the American Language Program. And just to be clear, we appreciate you listening. See you next time. Just to be clear is brought to you by Baruch College of the City University of New York and by the Joseph Drown Foundation, whose goal is to assist individuals in becoming successful, self-sustaining, contributing citizens. The foundation is particularly interested in programs that break down any barrier that prevents a person from continuing to grow and learn. More at jdrown.org. Supplementary and educational materials, including archived episodes and worksheets for students, can be found at blogs.baruch.cuny.edu jtbc. More information on the Tools for Clear Speech program can be found at tfcs.baruch.cuny.edu. Just to be clear, is recorded at Baruch College's Newman Vertical Campus at 55 Lexington Avenue in New York City. This episode was produced by me, Kim Edmonds, by Colby Hamilton, and by DJ Dolak. We'd also like to extend a special thanks to Alex Haddon, Andres Molnar, and Tristan Thorne. Thank you as well to Victor Chavez, our guest, and to Michelle Kaplan, who is the speech consultant who developed the original practice and supplemental materials that accompany this episode online. Original music for Just To Be Clear was written, recorded, and produced by Colby Hamilton, with help from Joe Anuda. Anuda.